Christine is actually going to be sharing with us uh, with the message today. And uh, Ross, uh, just right off the cuff, had some awesome things to say about her. I was like, you know what, I should probably make some notes of some things he said. Uh, Christine is one of our newest staff members here at Quest. Uh, I think she's she's uh, greener than me here just by like a month. And uh, we came on at about the same time. But she oversees the Assimilation and Welcome Team Ministries. Uh, she also served as a minister for a number of years in, in Canada. Uh, so she will enlighten you on some of her colloquialisms. Um, I can't say it. that word is just to help make fun of people. I think. <laughs> exactly. And uh, so, uh, but she's a, a true joy. Uh, most recently, spoke at the uh, women's retreat and had excellent, excellent feedback uh, from that. So we're very excited uh, that she's going to be sharing with us today. Uh, so again, let's welcome Christine with a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's an incredible honor and pleasure to be here this morning. And actually, Dusty and the worship team sang everything I was going to preach, so you can all go home. Thanks for coming. For those who want to stay, we're going to be in Matthew today, chapter four, chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. And it's a very familiar story that everybody I'm sure here knows, but we're going to read it. Immediately, Jesus told his followers to get into the boat and go ahead of him across the lake. He stayed there to send the people home. After he had sent them away, he went by himself up into the hills to pray. It was late, and Jesus was there alone. By this time, the boat was already far away from the land, and it was being hit by waves because the wind was blowing against it. Between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. When his followers saw him walking on the water, they were afraid, and they said, It's a ghost, and cried out in fear. But Jesus quickly spoke to them, Have courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, then command me to come onto the water. Jesus said, Come. And Peter left the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind and the waves, he became afraid and began to sink. He shouted, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter. Jesus said, Your faith is small. Why did you doubt? After they got into the boat, the wind became calm. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. We, Bobby and his parents, on the way home from Sunday school a couple of weeks ago, stopped in at Grandma's house. And Grandma was quite excited and said, Bobby, tell me what you're learning in Sunday school. I said, I'm not sure I want to. And he said, said, really, tell me, what is your Sunday school teacher telling you? He said, well, this Sunday we learned about Moses and the Israelites and the Egyptians and the Red Sea. And she goes, well, tell me the story. All right. Well, Moses and the Israelites needed to get from one side of the Red Sea to the other side of the Red Sea. So God gave Moses a big gold gramophone and Moses hollered at the people, get swimming. Some people couldn't swim, but thankfully there were some people in the crowd that could build a bridge. So they quickly threw a bridge together and then all the Israelites crossed over onto the other side. When the Egyptians got on the bridge, Moses blew up the bridge and all the bad guys died. His grandmother was mortified. Is that what your Sunday school teacher is teaching you? Not exactly, he says, but you wouldn't believe her story if I told you. (laughs) Now, isn't that a lot of how sometimes when we're in this scripture, we actually go, is that really true? Could that really be true? Or nice story, but how does it apply to me today? I don't own any camels. Or it makes no sense why the people of that time didn't said what they did because it doesn't make any sense to our understanding. Now, the problem is, is because we're Western culture and quite often we try and read and understand the scriptures 
through a Western mentality, which would be great. Unfortunately, it was written by an Eastern culture. And so there's often large gaps and holes in understandings and terminology used. To give you an example, in today's world, um, as you just heard, I'm Canadian. I've been in Ohio for eight months. I'm a brand new Ohioan. I still got the new car smell on me. And I have realized that there are quite a bit of language barriers between Canada and the United States, if you can believe that. So if at any point in the service it sounds like I'm speaking in tongues and you don't understand what I'm saying, chances are I'm speaking Canadian. And so my husband here is going to help out anybody at the end of the service because he has a dictionary of Canadianisms, how to speak Canadian, eh? (laughs) Which I'm sure will help clear up any complications. That's a real book, by the way. Can you imagine? It was a hoot reading it because I couldn't understand why you guys don't understand us. So anyhow, I'm sure many of you have read the story that we read this morning and have even heard numerous teachings on it. And quite often when we hear this scripture, we focus in on Peter, him taking his eyes off the Lord, the waves coming and him starting to sink, sink and then, you know, basically God chewing him out. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a different route, first of all, because I admire Peter. I think Peter had tremendous faith. He was just real enough to let his weaknesses show. And to me, I think that's a great character attribute. So rather this morning, we're going to be focusing why Peter got out of that boat in the first place. Now, I'm a five senses kind of girl. The more senses I have involved, the more I learn, the more I absorb, and the more I understand. I'm also like a Nancy Drew. Does anybody here remember Nancy Drew? Oh, thank God. It's not a Canadian thing. Okay. (laughs) I love to know the story behind the story. And quite often when you're reading scriptures, you will come across something on the third day of the Passover at the eastern wall, this was going on. And you may wonder, well, that's nice. What does that have to do with anything? Well, in today's scripture, I want to try and give you some of the story behind the story so you understand maybe why Peter might have gotten out of his boat. So I'm going to be taking you on a journey through a bunch of different scriptures throughout the Bible that will hopefully fill in some of the gaps. So this morning, I want you to picture yourself in this story. And guess who you are? No, you're not Jesus, honey. (laughs) You're Peter. (laughs) There's one in every crowd, isn't there? (laughs) Now think, it's between 3 and 6 in the morning, and you're in a wee boat with all these other people, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and your boat is being smashed by waves. What's happened the day before is you just watched as the Lord divided five loaves and some fishes and fed 5,000 on a hill. That was the day before. Can you imagine how exhausting that day was? So now it's 3 or 6 o'clock in the morning, and you're in a little boat trying to get from this side to that side, and a storm comes up and is beating your boat to snot. You're tired, you're wet, you're hungry, you just want this day over with. And the next thing you see is what you think is Jesus walking on the water. Now, you think it's Jesus because you've never seen Jesus do this before, and that's a beautiful nugget right there. Don't ever put God in a box because you'll be sadly disappointed. He's an out-of-the-box God. So just because you've never seen the Lord do it that way before doesn't mean he won't do it. (laughs) So now you see the Lord coming to you, and you don't know whether it's heat exhaustion, whether you're just so tired, whether you're hungry, you think it's a ghost, but then again, you're not so sure. 
until you hear the Lord's voice and he calls out to you, have courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And you in turn say, Lord, if it's really you, then command me to come to you on the water. And he says, come. Did you ever wonder why Peter got out of that boat? What made Peter think that he could walk on the water? Did he ever do it before? Absolutely not. I'm sure he's never even seen it done before because if he had, they wouldn't have responded in fear when they saw the Lord coming because it's, oh, well, that's just the Lord. He does that all the time. This was new to them. So, <laughs> and I like how sometimes we spiritualize people in the Bible about, oh, you know, they would never do things like that. I'm thinking in today's terminology, we're all in this boat. There's 12 of us, maybe one more. We're all cranky because we just want to go to sleep. And the next thing we see is Jesus walking on the water. And then Peter, of course, is the one to say, if that's you, Lord, tell me to come and I'll come. And Peter stands up. And I'm thinking the conversation in the boat went more like, Peter, what are you doing? Sit your fool butt down before you flip this boat and we all drown. I knew we should have left you on the shore. I'm just thinking... They weren't sitting there going, good job, Peter, good job. They were probably really ticked at him. So anyhow, this is where the story behind the story starts to come in. When you hear the term disciple, quite often we just think about the 12 people that followed Jesus. The truth is that the term has been around centuries before Christ was even born. The term disciple actually goes hand in hand with the term rabbi. Now, to be a rabbi means that you're a teacher of the law. And it was a term of dignity that was given to the Jews by the distinguished teachers. Jesus was a rabbi. All throughout the New Testament, you'll hear Jesus being referred to as rabbi or rabboni, which means teacher. So now if you have a teacher, you need a student. Exactly. And a student was often called a disciple. Um, Now, one thing that was very important and still very important to the Jewish culture that follow the law is something called the Torah. And the Torah was known as the law, is known as the law to the Jewish people. And they based their entire existence upon it. The Torah refers directly to the five books of Moses. So that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So the Torah was the entire life base of the Jewish culture. So much so that it told them where they could go where they couldn't go, what they could eat, what they couldn't eat, what day they could work, what day they couldn't work, who to talk to, who not to talk to, and so on and so forth. They even based their entire educational system around the Torah. So now to be a rabbi, there were three different levels of education that you had to make it through, and they were not easy levels. You started at the age of six. Mom and dad would take you down to the synagogue, and you would begin your education. The first level of education was called Bet Safar. Now, Bet Safar was coming into, from the age of six to the age of 12, you would learn the law. And that doesn't mean the Ten Commandments. It means you memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I couldn't remember my postal code, sorry, zip code, that's Canadian thing, whenever I was nine. I don't know how these kids, have you ever read the book of Numbers? I can't even say the names in Leviticus. And yet these children memorized the scriptures so that if anybody ever came up to them and said, where is this and who said it and who are they saying it to, immediately those children could renounce that of where it came from. 
Now, the second stage was called Bet Midrash, and you went there from the age of 13 to the age of 15. So this is where the best students from the first level went into. From here, you learned, of course, not just the first five books, but you learned the entire Jewish scriptures, which is from Genesis to Malachi. The entire Old Testament, they memorized. Plus, if that wasn't enough, in their spare time, they learned the family business. Pretty amazing, I think. The third level of the education was called the Betel Mood. And these are the ones that were the best of the best of the best. They were the cream of the crop. And at the age of 15, they would then decide, am I going to follow uh, the family business and take that on, or am I going to follow the life of the Torah and become a rabbi? No pressure at the age of 15. So at this time, if you decided to follow the Torah, you would then seek out a rabbi, which is very important because you needed to find a rabbi that you clicked with. There's nothing worse than trying to sit under a teacher that you just don't understand who doesn't understand you. If anybody have ever had that, I had that. It was miserable. As Christians, we often do much the same thing. Whenever we go to churches, we look for a pastor that speaks our language because then we can learn from them. So you've decided that you are the cream of the crop and you're going to become a rabbi. So you start to send one out. Now you're going to spend your time going from synagogue to synagogue throughout the city to find a rabbi that you click with. Interesting to note, not all rabbis believe the same thing. It's much like our preachers today. Not all pastors, preachers believe the same thing. We all have our own different bent on how we see and interpret scriptures. Well, rabbis were the very same thing. As a matter of fact, for hours they will get together and they will debate scripture to the nth degree until there's nothing left of it. What's interesting is the technique with how the rabbi taught, the instructions that he would give his teaching or his students was called the rabbi's yoke. Sound familiar? So a disciple would seek out the different yokes of the rabbi and hearing which one had to say, and could I relate to you? And then he would be interested in following that one. Now, it's interesting because we know a rabbi in the Bible, Jesus. What's even more interesting is he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the story behind that story is there were some rabbis that had such intense teaching They had such strict rules because the Jews didn't have just the Ten Commandments to go by. That was too easy for them. So they made up another 613 laws to go by. And some of these rabbis were so intense and so oppressive in their teaching that it was just impossible to want to be around them. A friend of mine was teaching me after the service this morning. She goes, um, he said, sorry, that uh, the rabbis sometimes would make it so difficult that they would actually send you away, and if you came back, then it showed that you wanted it bad enough. Like, my goodness. So, thankfully, we follow after a Lord who says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So when you find a rabbi that you connected with, your next step was to approach him and say, can I come after you? Can I follow you? It was never the other way around. You would never find a rabbi going up to a disciple or a student and saying, come follow me. Keep that in mind. So you would approach him and say, can I come follow you? And then he'd go, let me ask you some questions. And he'd ask you questions about the Torah. He'd ask you questions about where you grew up and how you interpret scriptures and how would you teach them and different things. Now, if the rabbi felt that you did not have what it took to be his disciple, he would kind of go, you're a good boy. You love the Torah. You love God. This is good. But you cannot follow me. Go home to the family business. 
Oui, oui. It's the closest I can get. <laughs> However, if he felt that you did have what it took to follow after him, he would say, I think you have what it takes to be my disciple. Come under my yoke. Now, the rabbis were very, very selective of who they chose. And the reason being is because the disciple, the student, was a direct reflection to the community of that rabbi. So to have, uh, in today's terms, I'll put it this way first. If you see parents that are out in the shops, in the malls, or at a restaurant, and their children are acting like wild monkeys, and the parents are absolutely mortified, going, will you shut up? Will you sit down? The reason why they're so upset is because they're worried that the people around them will think that their parenting skills are a direct reflection of their children's behavior. So you wanted to make sure that you made a good impression. It was the same thing with the disciples and the rabbis. Do you remember, oh, oh, with the rabbi, it was much the same thing. To have a disciple who would go to pubs, uh, who would eat forbidden fruit, or food, rather, um, who would talk to people that were considered unclean or go to unclean places, this would have been a complete black mark on that rabbi. So they were very selective on who they chose. They only wanted the best of the best because, of course, that would be a nice reflection to the community. Yes, yes, this is my disciple. So... Do you remember the story of whenever uh, the crowd approached Jesus and said, we don't understand, we saw you casting out demons, so we asked your disciples to come and cast them out, and they can't do it. What's up with that? And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, how long must I be with you? You see, your disciple is a direct reflection of your rabbi. So if the rabbi is doing it, then the disciple should be doing it. So now remember, we're entering into the final stage of education. You're about 14, 15 years of age, 20 at the absolute max. And here comes this new rabbi in town, and he sees Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and what are they doing? They're fishing. Well, why are they fishing? Because they're in the family business. Why are they in the family business? Because they did not have what it took to become a rabbi. They weren't good enough. And I want to make sure that each and every one of you hear and see this point. Every one of Jesus' disciples did not make the grade, did not have what it took according to society and to those of the church. They did not have what it took to be a disciple. They had to follow in their father's footsteps. And some of them, I'm sure, didn't even make it in that. And yet Jesus sees something in these common, everyday, ordinary people. Something in these fishermen, in these tax collectors, in these janitors, in these stay-at-home moms, in these blue-collar workers, in these people who are on disability because they can't work due to a disability. Jesus sees something in these everyday people, and he calls it out. And he comes up to us and says, come, follow me. That's pretty amazing. I struggled with trying to understand before how Jesus would walk up to these disciples on the shoreline who are fishermen and just say, come, follow me. And they drop everything in the world. They drop the family business, all their security, and they follow this man that they don't even know. And if you've watched any stories from Hollywood, no doubt you've seen the version of this beautiful six foot with long blonde flowing hair and these radiant blue eyes and a brilliant British accent who walks up to these men and goes, come, follow me. Have you seen that movie? (laughs) And these men just drop their nets and go. I don't think it happened quite like that. 
But I've heard teachings that said, you know, well, maybe Jesus just spoke with such authority that whenever he said it, he had their attention, so they just dropped and left. And, you know, that may be true, but I wonder if perhaps it's a little bit more. I wonder if it isn't that these 12 men were just so surprised that this rabbi would call them. They were nobodies. They weren't good enough. They were the B team. They were less than the D team, probably. How did you know if you were on the B team? Here's a good synopsis. If your career was associated with uh, smell, you were on the B team. (laughs) I'll expand that a little bit. If you were a fisherman, you smelled like red lobster. You're on the B team. If you were a tanner and you worked around smoke all the time, you smelled like Pocahontas 24-7. You're on the B team. If you were a sheep herder and you smell like grade A fertilizer, you can bet you're on the B team because anybody who had a smell associated with their career never got invited to anything. They weren't invited to the weddings. They weren't invited to the celebrations because they smelled. So here's all these smelly old gruff men. And David and I watched this show called Tuna. What is that? Tuna Catchers. Anyhow, it's a show of these men who hunt tuna. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> every second, third letter out of their mouth is a beep, 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 beep sort of thing. And I cannot imagine that. Times have changed between fishermen, between our day and that day. So these guys are rough, gruff men. And yet the Lord looks right past that. He looks past that they have no education. He looks past that um, they're well past the prime age of tutorship. Because remember, that was around the age of 12 to 15. I mean, they're not 12 to 15. And he walks up to them and he says, come and follow me. In essence, he was saying, come and do what I do. I believe in you and I choose you. Can you see now why maybe these men decided to drop everything of their life and follow? Because for once, somebody believed in them. We don't have to go through all the rigmarole. We don't have to memorize all the scriptures. We don't have to quit swearing overnight. We can just follow you. That's all it takes. You want us? Have you ever asked Christ that? You want me? What do I have to offer? You have the very thing that he put inside of you, which is himself. You have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, and that's what he wants. A third of you is perfect because it's your spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's calling out. He's not asking you to try and figure out how to make the northern lights work or how to bring the sun up in the morning. He's got that covered. He just wants you to let the part of him that's inside of you out. That's all you got to do. So you may have wondered why we called today's message covered with his dust. The disciples of the day wanted to not just be like or around their disciple or their rabbi they wanted to be their rabbi they wanted to embrace everything he was so wherever he ate you ate however he ate you ate where he slept you slept whoever he talked to you talked to because you wanted to be just like your rabbi so much so that remember we're in the desert so when a rabbi is walking he's walking and dust is kicking up off of his sandals The disciples would walk so closely to their rabbi that literally their rabbi's dust would get caught up on their garment. And they wouldn't wash their garment because it was a sign to the community of, look how close I follow my rabbi. 
we're like this. Wherever he goes, I'm going. We're one. So a good saying among the disciples of rabbis is, may you be covered in your rabbi's dust. (laughs) So now let's go back to the night when we're in the boat. You're in that boat. You're on the Sea of Galilee, and you see Jesus on the water walking towards you. Peter, what makes you think you can get out of that boat and walk? Because your rabbi is doing it. And you want to be just like your rabbi. If he's doing it, that means I can do it because he believes in me. And anything I need to learn, he'll teach me along the way. And so that's why Peter calls out, is that you? Because if it's you, you tell me to come and I'm coming. And Jesus says, come. And of course, he gets out of the boat, takes his eyes off the Lord. The waves start to take him down. And immediately the Lord lifts him back up and puts him safely back in the boat. So what do you think is more true? Do you think that Peter had a lack of faith in Jesus? Or do you think Peter had a lack of faith in himself? I personally think it's both. Because there's a lot of times when I'm going through storms in the beginning, when things don't start going smoother, I think it's my lack of faith in myself. And as the months carry on and the waves keep crashing my boat, I think, okay, Lord, maybe you're not up to this either. Sometimes there's a balance in there. Peter didn't think he could do it. And so many times we say that we believe in God, we believe in the scriptures, we believe in the promises of God. But what's truly more powerful than that is that he believes in us. Really, stop and think about that. That is extraordinary. The creator of the heavens and the earth believes in us even when we don't believe in ourselves. And he says to us again today, if you will follow me, if you will take up my yoke and burden, which are light, and be covered in my dust, if you'll just hang out with me, enjoy worship with me, enjoy a walk with me, enjoy a conversation with me while you're sitting in the car on the way to work, just be close to me. You know, we may fail him a thousand times over, but he will never fail us. And the thing is, is that he believes in us. And he never gave up on Peter. And he'll never give up on us. Remember whenever Peter denied him. At his most crucial hour, Peter says, I don't know. After the Lord came back and he said to the other disciples, I want you to go to and tell Peter. He didn't forget Peter. He didn't hold a grudge against him. He didn't hold it over him. He said, go tell Peter I'm expecting him because I need him. I think that's amazing. So today I want to encourage you and ask you, what's keeping you from being covered in your rabbi's dust? Quite often the first thing that we'll say is time. I'm too busy. I'm so busy. And that's, that's valid. However, we all know that if we really want to do something, we're going to find time for it. So I want to dig a little deeper. Maybe it's perhaps you struggle with the fact that the Lord could even use you at all. I'm sure the other disciples sitting in the boat were going, I'm not getting out of this boat. Forget it. I just bought these new shoes. The salt water will wreck them. No, sorry. I'm not getting out of this boat. It's out of my comfort zone. Or maybe you've gotten out of the boat before. But things didn't turn out the way you thought they would or thought they should. And you started to sink according to your understanding. To the Lord, you may have been a huge success, but because of the criticisms of those in the boat, maybe, 
or in your own mind, you think that it just didn't work out right and you're afraid to get out of the boat and try one more time. Or maybe you just simply don't know what to do. And that's very valid. Lord, I'd do something for you, but I just don't know what it is that you want me to do. Last week, Jeremy spoke of missing our opportunities when God brings them. And sometimes they come around again so that we can step out of the boat, and sometimes they never do. So this morning, I want to invite you right now to close your eyes. You are in the boat, and the rough waters are all around you. And looking straight into your eyes is Jesus. Ask him, Lord, what is one thing I can do this week that will cover me in your dust? You know, it may be something as simple as calling a person who's been on your mind for the last three weeks. Perhaps it's a bit more involved and he's asking you to forgive someone who has wronged you and asking you to lay down your right to retaliate. Or maybe he's challenging you to join a small group at the church. Or maybe he's asking you to lead that small group at the church. What is Jesus asking you to do? Jesus declared to those who believed in him that we will do greater works than he, and I believe that this is how. By remaining so close to him and following him so close that we just start to reflect everything he does. He also said that we will do greater things. Can you imagine? I leave you this morning with Jesus' words from John 15, 15. I love this. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends. Because I have made known to you everything I heard from my father. You did not choose me. I chose you. And I gave you this work to go and produce fruit. Fruit that will last. What an amazing God we serve. I encourage you that if the Lord has given you something to do next week, share it with somebody around you. I was overwhelmed with joy how many people came up to me after the first service and said the lord told me to do this or the lord asked me to do this i don't think there was a person here that left without something that was going to bring them closer to their rabbi let's pray father first of all we ask for your forgiveness for the times in the past that you've called us out of the boat to you and that we failed to move help us holy spirit to see our lives and the lives of those around us through your eyes to believe that whatever you can do we can do also because we're your disciples let us commit together to being his disciples and reclaiming the faith that once turned this world upside down so my prayer to you disciples of christ is may you be covered in your messiah's dust thank you for coming if anyone needs prayer please come on up to the front other than that have a wonderful week and spread god's goodness wherever you go Thank you.